to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, COVID, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there's a topic you'd like to uh, talk about on the show, you'd like to be a guest, please feel free, send me an email. You can reach me through LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick on LinkedIn, so I'm really easy to find. And the link is down in the video description. So please feel free, reach out, and we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about what you'd like us to talk on. Coming up soon uh, is the Disaster Recovery Journal Spring Conference. And today I have a special guest as someone who is one of the key sponsors. I'll let him talk about it. I'd like to welcome to the show the CEO of Fusion Risk Management, Mike Campbell. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here. Now, as I mentioned, uh, DRJ Spring is coming up, and you're a big, uh, big part of that. DRJ does important work, and we're we're happy to play a small role in helping them continue to move the state of the art forward. And, and I've seen you guys at uh, the fall DRJ. Uh, as we were chatting beforehand, I, I knew I'd met you briefly before, <laughs> way back in 2019. Right. Boy, that back when we did things in person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if I can do a live broadcast later this year and, and you're there in uh, Phoenix, then we'll, we'll get you to come back on. So we'll chat there. Now, I do have uh, viewers and listeners around the globe. Can you take a minute or two and talk about yourself, what you do, um, and how you actually got into the industry? Certainly. Um, Mike Campbell, I'm the CEO here at Fusion Risk Management, um, operate out of Chicago, um, Midwest. We also have a, an office, our European headquarters in the UK. Uh, I joined Fusion a little over two years ago and uh, came with an investment in the company by the Vista Private Equity Group. And uh, they were brought in to help us accelerate the growth that we were already seeing because the, the way that Fusion um, prepares for, for disasters, prepares to recover, is a very different animal than, than other places that we've seen. And they saw this as a unique and, and wonderful opportunity. And I, they showed me what they were seeing. And I said, I've got to join this group as well. Quite an amazing team. Well, I'll, I'll second that. I, I remember seeing Fusion in a small booth. Right. And now you guys are, you know, you had the big booth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, it's been interesting because COVID has, has really changed a lot of things. And while we certainly don't, um, we're not thrilled with the reason that people are starting to understand how we operate and, and why different is actually better here. Um, we had been evangelizing our approach to risk management and disaster recovery for about a decade. And, um, it takes some time because it's very different than the way the the, um, the traditional business has been run, where you know you you think more episodically. What is a plausible but but remote opportunity that this thing is going to happen, and you put your energy around planning on that. Well, what COVID taught us instantly, you know, it started as a as a employee health and safety issue, turned into work from home, which caused a complete meltdown of your systems because they weren't designed to run that way changed your business operation. Then supply chains started to melt down. Then we had a financial collapse, right? So, and then while you're trying to get your handle on this, the West Coast gets hit by wildfires. The South gets hit by hurricanes. You start putting your plans to get back to the office and you get hit with, with social unrest. It, 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 this has been a real eye-opener, not just to our industry, because we've always known that preparing for bad things, I mean, that's, our, that's what we do. The eyes that were opened were the people who were running the business, who think, who have been thinking a lot about how do I make my business more efficient? And then once I've got that all laid out, 
how do I just go back and check? Did I leave any risk in, in, inherent in this structure? People don't think that way anymore. You know, everybody got hit by COVID and all the myriad disasters that followed. And they realize now, I think literally, gutturally, they believe that they've got to run their business with risk in mind, run their business, not just plan their business. And that's a, that's a holistic change. I mean, a complete change in the mindset of a lot of the folks on boards and in uh, C-suites. Why do you think it took so long for people to uh, change their minds and view things? Did, you know, it's terrible to say, but did it take a half a million people, you know, or I think it's half, yeah, you're over half a million people in the yep. U.S. or and over two million people around the globe. Did it, did that have to happen before people start changing their mindset? Like what, what took them so long? Well, people have very short memories, very short memories. And what, what this combination of a long-term chronic disaster peppered with sort of episodic disaster, 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 showed that these, these single plans are, are hopelessly incapable of handling that, the permutations of disasters. No one had a plan like for Like the scenario focus, like a flood, exactly. a fire, that kind of stuff. Exactly, right. Even a pandemic plan. I don't think anyone had a pandemic plan that factored in tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires. It just, that yeah. plan didn't exist. And the fact is, you know, you can get hit by something. It can, it can be big, but manageable, and then you forget. You just forget. But this was chronic and, and repeated and just drove, it drove a lot of businesses to their knees for long periods of time, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So this, this was a real learning for, I think, all industries and around the globe. Do you think we're still one that won't soon be forgotten? I, well, hopefully not. You know, you, you didn't mention short memories there. We better not have short memories after this. If we do, you really don't deserve to be in business. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, we were actually going to be talking about um, uh, operational resilience today. Right. I know we, we got off uh, on a different uh, tangent there, but well, I'm completely fine. I, I almost never stick to a script anyway. So, <laughs> But operational resilience is, is really the thought of, of how does it all tie together? So, for instance, um, when you look at the traditional way of planning for these disasters, not only are you doing them in these scenario bases, but you're doing them in a silo as well. You've got IT disaster recovery. You've got operational risk, which is largely a financial exposure. Business continuity, which is operations. Third-party risk, which hell goes, goes to procurement sometimes, right? They're all part of the same risk. They're the, part of the same way you run your business. So, as I said, the way we view this is, Let's understand all the critical business processes that you have. Who's, who's involved? What sites are involved? What's, what systems do you use? What servers are those on? Where are those servers? Where are those sites? What third parties are critical to delivering um, this product or service to my end user? And that's what you're protecting. You're protecting the critical business service. The fact that all these pieces impact that means to do it effectively, you have to do it holistically. And that's what operational resilience is all about looking at your risk, your holistic risk, how it all ties together. And no matter what hits you, you have to keep delivering on your promise to your customers. So what's the difference? Because they, I'm seeing these two terms show up everywhere, operational resilience and organizational resilience. What's the difference? Are they one and the same or is it a, a verbiage difference? What's, what's the well, you're going to get a different answer from everybody you ask. But so, <laughs> so with that caveat, um, operational resilience, in, in our view, is more um, laying out the process, making sure that you understand the role that all these elements play in how your business works. Taking it to another level, to organizational resilience, is getting the mindset in the, pe- in the heads of the people that are performing these functions to know not just what, my, what are my required steps if A happens or B happens or C happens. It's a two-way street as well. Having people understand that that managing through risk, managing through disaster is everybody's job. So you also need to make sure that you're including, you're hearing the voices coming back from the field, as well as issuing directions, asking for information. It's got to be a mindset. And that's really when you get into the organizational aspects of it, that people need to embrace risk and managing through, through adversity is part of the way we run our business. So does that mean uh, organizational resilience uh, g- contains um, soft skills? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. because you mentioned and a mindset. education, so that that means you know if 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 I was with Fusion, I would have to be able to you know uh, communicate with you or you know, your colleagues, you know, information. It's not just being pushed down. This is it. This is it. This is the way it is. You know, there, there's got to be some soft skills so that I feel free to speak up and that kind of well, thing. Right? And frankly, you need to take the the risk mindset out of a single group or a single person in some companies where, you know, you're building your supply chain back up and you decide to single source something because you can get your widget for a penny less. It shouldn't just be some person whose job it is to think through, well, is it right to just single source that? What happens if you lose that supplier, right? Everybody needs to be thinking. It, it is all about, you've got to be efficient, efficient as well, but you have to think resilience. What happens if I make a decision? What could go wrong? If you get people thinking that way, then it's everybody as part of the both the, the problem and the solution, right? Or the problem definition and the solution. Well, two two questions then. <laughs> how how do you get that uh, mindset to change so that people start thinking and f- feel like they can point those kind of things out? And and two, who owns that then? Because if you're looking, if you're not looking at things in silos anymore, you're trying to get rid of that. Right. Space that we've all worked everywhere where there's silo thinking all the time. Right. How do you go about changing that? Well, that that is happening because of what we're living through. Um, what we're starting to see more and more are global chief resilience officers. Now, I will say that the, the banking community is definitely leading the charge. They were frankly heading down this path um, due to regulatory requirements before the before COVID even hit. But the concept of holistic risk management and, and operational resilience is now something that is, is coming up everywhere. Financial services, I think, will continue to lead the charge because the bullseye is so clearly drawn because of the regulatory involvement. Um, but you're seeing it pop up and we're seeing it pop up, certainly even in the non-regulated industries, where you'll find somebody in the organization is being endowed with the concept of breaking down the silos. Because remember, the silos the silos were part of the problem. As these businesses started to unravel, as they started getting hit by more and more things, they realized, you know, you can't, if you're really hit with something on the risk side, you're not just going to sit there and wait for an insurance check. You still have to run your business, right? So all these pieces are now intuitive. Everybody understands that they're connected. Getting them together is the tricky part. So we're seeing different kinds of people take on similar roles. And this is where it actually gets really fascinating too. Um, it depends on the industry, certainly how badly were they hit by COVID, how quickly are they coming back? It, that, that really gauges your sensitivity to it and really your ability to, to execute against it. But it's also interesting because you'll see people put into the similar position, a chief resilience officer for, for whatever they call it, it's a chief resilience officer. But you'll find that their background, where they came from, still heavily skews what they think of the job, what they think the definition is of what they're trying to accomplish. So someone jumping into an operational resilience role from IT naturally starts thinking cyber, ITDR, right? Mm-hmm. It takes yeah. them a while to get out of their comfort zone because everyone's starting from a comfort zone. This is a new role. If you have someone who started with business continuity, trying to understand how you get these other people who are talking sort of the same way, but a different taxonomy, but getting them to think about how do you get things into a plan and act kind of a mentality Again, you're, you're coming with biases. You're coming with, with uh, preconceived notions. And, and while I think everyone's going to start to converge on what operational resilience is, it certainly depends on where you start and how much energy your company is putting behind getting that convergence. Um, so it, it's changing uh, you know, day by day, but changing differently across different industries. That's got to be a challenge because uh, you know, CR, CRO comes along and says, we're going to break down these silos, but you've got senior vice presidents and executives who have their, um, uh, you, I, I used to hear the word a lot, their empire right. you know, that they've built. And now they've got somebody else coming along saying, you've got to change the way you're thinking. And it's not just that executive who has to change, but their direct reports and their direct reports and further down the, you know, down the whole hierarchy line. Right. So there's got to be some significant challenges on trying to get that mindset to change. And I'm going to get to some other, other bits later, but, but just changing that mindset 
has got to be a huge challenge because it's not just a, a change in what they do. It's a change in how they do it and how they think. That's true. But two things are, are helping to facilitate it. The most important one is nobody thinks they did a good job in their silo. Nobody. It just didn't happen. This was too much. It, over, it overburdened everybody's preconceived notions. So it's not like people are sitting back smug saying, well, I don't need to change, right? If anything, we all learned that there were shortcomings to the way that our, our silo thinking was, was driving us. The thing that's also helping is what I talked about really early on. This is not a hypothetical exercise. This is not every six months you get the C-suite in on a, a tabletop exercise, right? Where they all roll their eyes about, oh, it'll never happen. Right. <laughs> you know, they, oh, yeah, I've been yeah, in that. <laughs> they lived it day by day by day. Hell, they were talking about operational resilience on the Today Show for weeks. You, you've never heard it mainstream before like that. But the C-suite, the CEOs were living through these, these um, you know, outrageous things that were happening to their business, feeling almost powerless, out of control. And, and that's something that people don't easily forget. And the thing that's also happening that's, that's fascinating from our perspective is that boards of directors are getting involved now operationally, right? You've got your, you know, the, the chairman of the risk committee. It was, it was a very different animal than, it's, than it is today, especially with, at the bigger customers. The, the, the board themselves are saying, we can't, we can't not factor in risk in the way we run our business anymore. So they're getting direct operational reporting as opposed to, right, talking about, the big risks or, or hypotheticals at, at a board level once a quarter, they, you know, they're all, they all paid the price. We all paid the price for not being holistic and not being prepared. So we have, again, everybody felt the need for change and there are people at the top who excruciatingly learned that they needed to have that visibility and, and capability of action. And on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking today with the CEO of Fusion Risk Management, Mike Campbell. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Mike Campbell, CEO of Fusion Risk Management. Mike, great first segment. Lots of uh, good information there. You mentioned uh, learning from some of these episodes that occur. So what are your thoughts on after action reports and lessons learned and how does that contribute to uh, operational resilience or organizational resilience? Oh, absolutely critical. Now, ideally you'd be doing this through simulations, right? Trying to figure out where you're vulnerable or where, where things break in most of the scenarios. So you can, because you, you can't fix everything. You can't harden everything as we all know. There's not infinite money. 
There are, however, infinite risks. One of the, if you can call it a benefit, I, I hesitate to call anything a benefit out of the pandemic, but if you want to know how your business breaks, look around your feet because everybody's business broke. You want to know what was vulnerable? It's in pieces on the floor. So if, if you're not as a business going out right now and doing the after action reports, learning when every wave of another disaster comes through, if you're not monitoring, cataloging, what broke, what were the implications? This is unfortunately um, probably your best opportunity to see where you are vulnerable systemically because you broke, right? So let's not lose the lessons, the, the expensive lessons that are all around us in where you're, where you're vulnerable. And, and not just you, your supply chain, your critical partners, you know, this all had a cascading effect. If you don't catalog what happened now, it'll be lost to history. We already, already talked about that. People tend to forget, especially difficult things. So now's the time to be cataloging what happens so you can make sure that you're prepared for those kinds of, of breakages in the future. Again, you can't be thinking of this as, how do I plan for another pandemic followed by 16 other significant disasters? That's not the way to do it. Think about how your business operates. How did it break? Is it likely to break in similar ways again? Forget the, the, the cause. But if my supply chain is too, too precise, if it's not uh, resilient enough, if, if certain business processes or certain sites are more, uh, you know, were more heavily impacted, more regularly impacted, use this opportunity to say, now I know where to focus my hardening efforts because I saw how things broke and I can see how they break. And it's a massively important uh, set of lessons to be learned. And, and you paid the price. Let's, let's get the value. During our break, I, I uh, was talking to you about uh, my project management background with lessons learned. And uh, it really frustrates me with lessons learned because in project management and well, almost anything, it doesn't really get looked at a lesson learned until way down the road. Okay, what happened? When, as you said, people don't remember, you've got team members that have changed, they've uh, moved on to another position or they've left a company, they've taken that knowledge with them. There was no initial recording to start with of what <laughs> the trigger was. And by the time you get to a lessons learned, it has no value anymore. Right, right. You know? Which, which is a problem. However, I've never been through a project like this before, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think the only valid reason for not scribing this immediately is because you're still up to your neck in alligators, right? We have a lot of people in our line of work who've been scrambling to keep the lights on, to make sure that people are well, that, that our business is still operating. And it's very hard to catalog the lessons learned if you're still spinning the plates, right? But, yeah. but we have been through a lot. People are starting to come back. And you're absolutely right. Now's the time to get those lessons learned catalog because, like I said, they're hugely expensive lessons. Um, they show you where your weaknesses are. It's not a hypothetical exercise anymore. If, if your business breaks the same way again, massively breaks the same way again, that would be a shame is, is putting it lightly. That would be a, a crime. But you're, what's the expression? You're doomed to repeat history? You know, if you don't learn from it, for those who don't learn from it, lines. yep, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So, it's rather interesting. You you mentioned you know, logging all of the lessons learned now and the action uh, after action reports, uh, and you also mentioned that with COVID, we had different disasters occurring. Right. So, with operational resilience, how do you go about logging all these different things that can happen all at the same time? because you've got COVID that hits you one way. Right. A week later, you could have an application issue. A week after that, you could have <laughs> something else. <clears throat> Excuse right. me. How do you go about um, capturing all these lessons learned? Because sometimes there is, and, and as you mentioned, there's more than one uh, incident happening at a time that people just don't get confused. Right. And, well, you know, I'm all confused. I don't know what to capture, but let's just keep going. Here's the mindset change, and, and you actually just illustrated it, because you're not trying to say, let's document what, what hit us, and, hit, and then therefore what happened. How did your business break? It doesn't matter what caused it to break, right? So you're, you're never going to see the same series of failures happen again. But if you can go back in and say, well, 
all of a sudden my, my sites were useless to me. So my sites can all go down. What did I have to do? Well, you, you needed to know where everybody was. Can they continue to do their jobs? Are you planning now for whatever causes a site to go down? It doesn't matter what the input is. It matters what the reaction is, right? How do I make sure I track and, and compensate for sites going down, areas being cut off like in Texas for a week? You know, again, planning for an ice storm in Texas, it gives you an output. Losing a region doesn't matter what causes it, right? What do you do when you lose a region? How big a region? What's in it? Right? So again, you're going back to the mindset of, here's how my business works. Any element can break for whatever reason. Multiple things can break. You can break, like in, in my example, myself, I was watching our, um, my executive dashboard and I had set it up to be looking at my sites because um, I like to keep track of, of uh, input data, you know, active shooter elements, weather, all, all the inputs that you want to make sure you're, you're monitoring for. And I said, well... I, I had to shut the office again because in Chicago there was civil unrest and obviously a little bit of back to the office that we had, um, we had to stop. But I said, okay, uh, I'm looking at my business wrong again. So I said, I'm going to stop. I don't care about sites. I'm going to look at where my employees are working from. Boom. But now my system was already monitoring it, but now I'm looking at all my individuals. You know, if you're working out of a, out of a cabin in the North woods, I know where you are and I can monitor you. Right. So, so that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you're understanding how your business is working, what threats happen and what happens if a server goes down, what happens if a group gets missing. It could be a hurricane. It could be a tidal wave. It could be a wildfire. The input itself is sort of secondary. If you understand how your business works and how it breaks and how you can harden it, that's what you need to learn. So, and every business broke. So that's what you want to go back and catalog. What happened when everybody had to go back to work, had to work from home? There were a lot of things that broke. Make sure you remember all of them. Who right? gets involved with that? It depends on what it is. I mean, you're going to have to have the IT folks involved in, in making sure you don't lose the ability to operate from home. We personally had some problems with our, because we do this for a living, right? We, we, uh, just a couple months before this, we sent everybody home for a week with no notice. And we said, you got to keep running the business which you'd expect of a company in our line of work. But, but when we did that, everything on our side worked seamlessly. But a couple of our vendors like Zoom didn't work so well at first, right? So, so again, that's not a lesson you would, you would be able to learn easily to know that you have to maybe have alternate plans, alternate venues to see if you can share the, the load because things broke that you wouldn't have anticipated. That's what you want to remember. Right, because you, you're... Your planning sometimes, uh, and you mentioned earlier, is so focused on a single scenario, right? Or, or you're, or you, you've developed all these assumptions that over time people just think are true and don't exactly. even look at them as potential risks anymore. Right. Exactly. And and now let's, let's mm -hmm. give you another example. So looking at the care of your employees in a distributed environment, that was something nobody was thinking about. How do you make sure that people are are staying connected? They're staying productive. They're staying healthy in a distributed environment where you become much more than um, you know, compatriots, much more than just working colleagues, you become a community. So a lot of people had to build skills there on the HR department and you know, senior executives all needed to take a very different and more understanding view of the new reality they were in. And for a long time, right? It wasn't just, how do we get through this week? So everybody's going to be okay. It's, how do I get through this month? And oh, by the way, there are people protesting outside the, the windows of some of our, uh, of our workers. How do we support them? How do we keep them emotionally whole as well? It, it was a, a very different business problem than I think certainly I had ever experienced, I think, for most people. So, so again, learning from those things in difficult environments, what skills were needed? What approaches were needed? What did you do before? And then, frankly, the other thing to be learning, um, going off on a bit of a tangent, a lot of really good stuff came out of this. I mean, people did amazing things. And to lose that would be a shame as well, because we could all go back to the office, you know, three weeks from now, whenever we hit herd immunity, and, and lose the ability to truly incorporate people who are going to stay um, remote, right? How, don't do that. So let's, let's learn the lessons that we've learned. Let's keep the good stuff that we had to improvise. And, and use that to make ourselves stronger, more resilient, and frankly, a better place to work going forward. 
I, I agree. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, some people that you know, uh, will probably stay home. I know people that would uh, prefer to stay home now because after a year, they've gotten used to being at home. They, they're set up. They, they're finding themselves more productive. They're spending more time with family, and especially if they've got kids. You know, they're being they're they're seeing them off to school. You know, they're home when they come home from school. They're spending more time with their partners. You know, they're going outside, walking their dogs. You know, at lunchtime, and there are those that you know want to be back in the office as well. So you've got all kinds of people that want to do different things. I, I think that um, that normal uh, nine to five, get up catch a train, go to the office, catch a train, go home, may not be as uh, may not be as a working option as it once was. Right. You know, well, and, and, sh- and should it be? I had someone look at me almost with tears in their eyes and they said, Mike, I know we're getting closer to the, going back to the office. I got a 45 minute commute each way. I can't go back to that. And why would you want to have a person spend an, an hour and a half just in transit every day. You know, the, a lot of companies, I think most companies were afraid of, of the work from home movement because it really was picking up steam before COVID. And frankly speaking, I was, I was nervous about it too because it's very hard to measure productivity. It's hard to measure what you're losing, what you're gaining. But this sort of jump into the deep end of the pool, what I learned is you get too much productivity, particularly in this case, because you can't, you can't have people go out and do anything. There's nothing else to do. So we found people just putting in too much time. And then we try to get them to take vacation. And they'd say, I can't take vacation because everyone is still working. And if I come back, I take Friday off. I come back on Monday. I've got 100 more emails I've got to go after. During the summer last year, we had to take turns shutting the company down, except for critical people because we are in an important line <laughs> of work. But, but we had to shut the whole company down on Fridays so people would feel comfortable even taking an extra day. So productivity was too high. We're, we're trying to encourage people to find ways to, to reconnect with family, to, to you know, get out of their, their minds a little bit, get out of the, the work environment a little bit and try to recoup, right? Because it, it can be exhausting being on and being this productive. How, how does that new uh, paradigm, people working at home, how is that challenging operational resilience? Well, because because operational resilience, I, I think a lot of people would think facility, everybody in the building, but yep. but they, but it's not. That's not right? the same now. Exactly. So what you need to be able to have is a way of monitoring the sites because they can a lot can happen to a site that impacts everyone in the site. So it's clear clearly something you want to monitor, but you can't stop monitoring where the individuals are. Just embrace the fact that you're going to have nodes and and spots, right? You're going to have individuals that are part, key parts of your, your critical business processes. And the sites are now going to, again, be part of your critical business, um, business services. But what you have to do, too, obviously, there's part of it. It's, it's an IT um, environment where you make sure, as we have, that all of our conference rooms, all of our uh, internal offices have video conferencing capabilities. So you can be both in person and have the Zoom call going at the same time to get that telepresence feel. So it's a different infrastructure. It's certainly much better connectivity than we had before, much higher speeds so we can get high resolution, real time. So those are sort of the obvious things. But then you, you, you want to make sure that you're continuing to monitor you know, your business as it morphs because it will change. You know, some days the site is going to be the most important thing. But other days when you know, people are, are not coming to the site, you maybe have Fridays where everybody works from home. Um, you still need to be able to run your business and make sure you're monitoring for threats and, and, uh, and issues. Is that a challenge also with uh, third parties? Because oh. at the very beginning, it, you know, we, were, we were talking about uh, you know, supply chain there for a bit. If you, let's say Fusion um, or, or even me, you know, we're changing the way we do things that's got to change the way our suppliers and vendors and clients and partners are going to be operating too. Is there, is there an additional challenge when it comes to uh, operational resilience now that, you know, they are changing as well. We're changing. Right. Well, and I think we've got a new level of appreciation of the role that these partners play in a lot of cases, the real time role that they play. And it's not just our third parties, it's their third parties, right? We, we saw it all come crashing down yeah. in fits and starts. 
And so again, a very important lesson learned, the cyber attacks for Pete's sakes, solar winds, all these things are teaching us that, that you need to be able to monitor in real time what's happening with your, your third parties and that your end parties. And it's not enough anymore to get even a 600 page questionnaire answered. It doesn't help you. <laughs> With a, with a hack I remember those. Right? And, that, and that's been the mindset. That's been the way we've been doing things. And you have to do that. And here's the, here's the difficult part. You have to be much more tightly integrated. So if something happens, the damage can be under, or the potential damage can be understood and action can be taken faster. But that's, that's difficult for the third party who's in a potential position of liability, right? How do you force more closeness when people are trying to protect themselves more? But again, this pandemic, I think, has been a huge lesson, coupled with all the other things that have hit during it, to say it's inevitable. We have to be much more tightly integrated. If something bad happens in one of your suppliers, they need to be able to tell you right now, and your systems need to be able to say, something bad's happening here. What are the ramifications? Tell me what's the most important thing that's going to hit me the hardest. What's going to have the biggest impact? And what are your recommended actions? And who's in charge? Right? You've got to be able to do it real time. And that's, that's really operational resilience uh, as well. It's not just the preparation, although that's key. It's the, it's the incident management. It's the command and control. It's, the, it's gathering as much data as you possibly can, making very quick decisions, and then having that also be the mechanism for implementing and following up. Did we do what we said we had to do? Did we lock down what we needed to lock down? It's got to be much more of a command and control mentality. And, and third parties are going to have to play that or, or they can't play, right? Yeah. Does that mean some, you know, um, the, the, uh, the new NDA or new SLA agreements have to be put in place? Like changing that whole, whole view, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm your sole supplier, you know, and thou shalt buy from me. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, a lot of that groundwork is going to have to change. But, but I think it's going to become it's going to become easier and more understandable when more companies get a true operational platform for managing risk, managing incidents, right? So as soon as, as soon as you've got in your organization, say like one of the big banks, you've got something that's monitoring all my IT issues, my people issues, my site issues, my personnel issues, and it's doing all that real time. You're getting the, the instant feeds. And then anything that comes at you, the system can, as I've said, tell you what the biggest impact is going to be, what should you be looking at first, at what level in the organization. As soon as you have that in any organization, one, the need for third parties to be part of it becomes absolutely critical. But if that platform exists and you have it at your third party, the platforms can talk, right? So in fact, um, one of the things that the banking is going to need to be doing is um, simulations. So, and a simulation is not just you know, here, here's a financial condition. Give me some spreadsheets that tell me you're going to survive the other side. It's, you know, I'm going to give you a scenario that says hurricanes in the South, fires in the, in the West, 20% of your, your units go offline. Go. Tell me that you're still going to be able to swipe, have someone swipe a credit card and it's going to be approved, right? So you can't do that by yourself. It has to be real time, real simulation where it goes down and it tests your critical suppliers, your critical third parties. And they come back with a, I'm good, I'm gone, I'm degraded, right? And, and you can play the scenario out as though they're part of the, the true ecosystem because they are part of the true ecosystem. Yeah. It's just making sure that you have systems in place to monitor. If everyone has systems in place to monitor, react appropriately, those systems connecting is actually fairly straightforward. I remember doing some of those uh, simulation tests and we had uh, uh, nearly 200 people, three different countries and five locations involved and uh, UK, Canada and uh, the US. And boy, was that a challenge sometimes, you know, and it was amazing to find out how many assumptions were actually built into things you didn't even know right there. You know, people in the UK, well, we just assumed we would get uh, such and such in XYZ format. Well, no, we're, we're, we just rebuilt our mainframe. You know, until something else comes up, you're getting it in this format. What do you do? Um, <laughs> you know, right. You, know, you got the right information. It just doesn't look the same. <laughs> and, and as we've all learned, you really rather find those things out in a simulation than in the real thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, again, and, and I saw that as a positive. 
you know, finding that out then was a positive. Absolutely. And who knows how long memory will actually serve for this. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's, this is a DNA changer. But I don't think we're ever going to go back to a point where people are rolling their eyes saying, why are we planning this? This would never happen. I don't think that's going to happen. Certainly not in the next generation, right? They're all going to say, yeah, let's test it again. We didn't do so well on that one. Let's test it again. Yeah, let's see. Let's right? see if we can do better. <laughs> and, that, and that goes back to the organizational resilience, right? You've got people who get it. I mean, get it. We've got to be prepared for these things. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Mike Campbell, CEO of Fusion Risk Management. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to the Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Mike Campbell, CEO of Fusion Risk Management. Mike, lots of great information. I really like uh, chatting uh, like this. Uh, I think it's really great. You talked about decision-making and traditional decision-making, and I'm sure you've been in these situations too. People are in a boardroom and they have umpteen dozen meetings just to make a decision, even a decision that needs to be made right away always seems to take a long time. With operational resilience, you uh, mentioned that with some of the mechanisms if you have in place, with operational resilience, you can make faster decisions and better decisions. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on the decision-making process with regards to operational resilience? Absolutely. In fact, that's been one of the most fascinating um, changes I think that's happened is this connection between the C-suite and the board level with needing to know what's happening, needing to make sure that if there's a big decision that needs to be made, it's made by the appropriate person in the appropriate amount of time, just as you said. So, it, but, but it plays against sort of the, the traditions of our industry where we want to get as much information as we can before we tell anybody that there's a problem, right? When big things hit though, now there's the expectation. The board expects the C-suite and the CEO to be on top of things real time and prioritize the big decisions and make those big decisions fast to minimize damage and to take advantage of, of whatever you know, timing that, that they need. So it's been a little bit of a push versus pull. And so what we're, what we're trying to make sure that we enable, you know, there are thousands of things that can come up every day in, in any kind of business, particularly on the IT side with so much automated feeds, you're constantly under attack, you're constantly, things are you know, flipping from red to, or green to red all the time. So 
you don't want to send a thousand or ten thousand incidents up to your C-suite, but you've got to have thresholds. What? Who has what decision rights? What needs to be escalated? Just raw. I mean, if it's if it's existential, you've got to get to the CEO, maybe even the board, real time, and you need to show up with as much information as you can, and preferably a recommended action. And who should you call to get? more input, you know, more real-time input. In fact, hell, hit a button and I want a team to assemble to make this big decision with me. So those are the kinds of mechanisms that are coming into place now. And as I said, the, the real problem is not technology. It's not the filtering. It's even not even coming with the best next action. It's getting people to comfortable operating in an environment where people higher up are going to have as much information as you at the same time. And they're going to be calling saying, I need more. Right. So how do, how do you make sure your systems are giving as much information as possible that is focused and on, on the right thing? So I'm going to give the, the CEO anything that's above a half a billion dollars of potential impact. I'm going to give them the background information, the reason that we're concerned. I'm going to present it to them in a, in a business tone, not in necessarily our jargon, our vernacular. And I'm going to try to give, the, give it to him or her in a way that's understandable and actionable. And if you don't do it, here are the ramifications, right? So we've, we've got to understand that we live in a world where there's a new expectation. I don't want a team to think about this for a week and present me some presentation, right? This stuff happens real time. So, so let's get systems in place that, that can pull the data from external sources, that can measure it against where we think our, our pain points are and our tolerance levels are and our impact is going to be, and then know who makes, who, who supports these decisions, who's in charge of executing once the decision is made. You've got to put the decision maker with the, the correct person doing the execution real time, right? And all that is, again, straightforward from a technology perspective. It's more difficult from a historic perspective, from a you know, policy perspective, right? Getting people comfortable that that's the world we live in, but it is here. Is it also uh, empowering uh, individuals as well? Because you mentioned you know, over a bill, half a billion dollars or something like that. Um, you know, empowering people uh, further down the chain, like, oh, this is only a $50,000 impact. You know, for some people, obviously, that's a huge amount. But for multi-conglomerates, it's like not even a blink. You know? <laughs> but to empower somebody who can make that decision related to something on that level, um, is it... Do you also empower, you know, further down the train, the chain yeah. of these different levels? Excellent point. And there are two <clears throat> fundamental ways that this is empowering. I'll, I'll try, to, try to be quick. I know we're short on time. One is to come up with those decision rights. Who has the appropriate level of authority to make a decision? You still, the fundamental problem is still there. What data do I give them? What alternate alternatives do I present? How do we execute the decision, right? So yes, with decision rights, you can make sure that you've got the right, the right person getting the right information for the right level of decision. What's even more important is the people in our business. We're being empowered, right? More than ever before. People at, at the board level are asking us, what should we do? This is an opportunity that comes along once in a lifetime. People get what we do now, why it's important. Hell, why it's critical, right? And if, if you're not it, part it of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're not part of the conversation already, Get yourself in the conversation because it's happening. It's happening at the board level. It's happening in the C-suite. We are where the questions get formed. We're where the, the action plans get de devised. We're the ones that do all the, the scenario setting where we pull all this together. We're at the, in the eye of the storm here. And this is an opportunity to take our seat at the C-suite table and make sure that we are protected going forward. This is, again, once in a generation opportunity. We need to step up because we're the ones that have been living in, in this environment the longest. We know what we need to do. And now we have people who are not only listening, they're screaming, help us. Great opportunity. Talk about empowerment. Almost makes you want to say, I told you so, but, but we're not going to go there. We won't go there. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we only have uh, three and a half minutes left. Do you want to take uh, a couple of minutes and, and give some final thoughts on operational resilience? Well, sure. Um, probably the most important thing is, especially for your audience, this is a pivotal time. There are conversations going on in every boardroom about what we do, and, and we need to step up. We need to, we need to need more. 
people are listening. They're, they understand what we do, why it's important. It's time to step up and make sure that we're part of that conversation. And we have to stop thinking in silos. It's not a silo game anymore. It's holistic. It's not going to be easy for us because a lot of us grew up in silos. A lot of us continue to operate in silos, right? We need to know that the game has changed. And if we can't change with it, we're holding it up. So while there's a huge opportunity, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's going to happen. And I think this is, again, an opportunity that are going to make a lot of careers right now, because I think the, the, the vacuum of leadership has been, has been palpable. And we have a lot of people in this industry who know what's needed and know, know how to get things done. And the, the opportunity is there, but don't wait for someone to knock on the door. Yeah. Go barge through it. <laughs> Just a quick answer. Do you think that the uh, challenge we have of buy-in is gone? Gone, gone, absolutely. People are hungry for for solutions to this. We're still living with the pain. Yeah, yeah. It better be gone after this. If you're right. you're still hunting for buy-in, then I think maybe um, like what you said earlier on, people are not learning. You haven't learned anything. Exactly. And if you're operating in the same way you always have pre-pandemic, you're not part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> We're the other part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we didn't pick anybody off. <laughs> thanks a lot. I really enjoyed ta- uh, chatting That's with you today. And, Thank you very uh, much, Alex. You know, if we're able to do a live broadcast at DRJ in the fall, you know, fingers crossed. Let's hope something happens. Um, hopefully, I can run into you. We can, we can actually talk that. Thanks for it. You know, and I'll get to you to come again. on the live broadcast as well. Great. But I'd thanks like very it. much. I really appreciated your time and your. I enjoyed it. Good to see you again. And to everybody listening and watching, uh, thanks for, well, listening and watching. And if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, please feel free. Reach out. Alex Fullick on LinkedIn. I'm the only one there. In the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.